1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively, that mean, just means living stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion. That's the heavenly Zion. I know I've said it before, you all know it. When you see Zion with the S, that's speaking about the heavenly. When you see Zion with the Z, that's the earthly Jerusalem. Okay? Uh, is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded or ashamed. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient whereunto they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. This is what we're going to talk about tonight. We see it all through the Scriptures that Jesus Christ is referred to, among many things, He's referred to as our rock, or that stone, right? There's a lot of different analogies and their names of God that the Scriptures give Him. And one of those is the stone. And so what He's talking about here is that uh, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. When the Lord led us to start this church and birth this church, Cornerstone Church, it came from the Scripture in Ephesians 2 that were, that, that were built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. We felt like that's what the Lord led us. Uh, I know there's other cornerstone churches, and uh, you know we didn't have to try to be unique necessarily. That's just the, what the Lord led us uh, to call it. Based upon that, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, I know we've talked about it before. When we did a series on a healthy church, and we started with that, Jesus Christ Himself has to be the foundation of the healthy church. Way back when, that was last year, the first in that series. And we're still talking about Him today because Jesus Christ has to be the foundation of a man's life. That life is going to come to nothing if Jesus Christ is not the very center and the building block upon which it's built, it's built. The Bible says, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds upon that foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, it's going, to be, it's going to endure the things that are built upon Christ. Amen? And so that is the foundation of our hearts and lives, and it must be. We're taught that all through the Scripture. We don't even have time to read in Matthew 7 where we know the story about the wise man built his house upon the rock, right? That rock is Jesus. It's all through the Scriptures. The rock is Jesus because the storms of life come to lost men and very similar, if not identical, storms come to saved men. The storm is just part of this life we live in. God makes it a rain on the just and the unjust. Saved men get cancer and lost men get cancer. You know what I'm saying? Uh, lost people lose their jobs and saved people lose their jobs. And these things happen. This is a life that we live in. But I would much rather be going through a storm with Jesus as my rock. Because that storm's going to come and pass and we'll still be standing. 
Amen. Because of Christ. Not because of any innate goodness or strength or wisdom or I'm clever and I made it through that one. Boy, yeah, I just knew what to do. Well, we know what to do because God gives us wisdom. And because God literally upholds us by His mighty right hand. And so, the foolish man, of course, built his house and it looked similar on the outside and the same storms came to both. But his house fell and great was the fall of it, it says. So just put that in, in context of what we're talking about here tonight. So I want to talk about the Lord being that precious cornerstone uh, disallowed indeed of men. That means like rejected of men as a whole. Okay, And I think typically, not only, but typically it's speaking about the Jewish nation rejecting Him uh, as a whole. Now there's individual Jewish people that are saved. All the early apostles and early church was all Jewish. So it's not that no Jewish person can be saved. But as a whole, the Jewish nation rejected Him and said, we don't want this man to rule over us. Well, what should I do with Him? Crucify Him. That's, that was the reaction. And so... But I think it would also apply to any man that reject, would reject Christ. But I do think it's speaking about that. But just so we know, Moses, as in the end of his life, when he's coming to the end of his life, told the, Jew, the, the congregation of Israel to ascribe, he says, he is the rock, and to ascribe greatness to the rock. Speaking of Jesus, Jesus was that rock that followed them in the wilderness. I can't picture it that a rock, a rock literally drag along behind them. Or was it where, when it was needed and Moses would smite that whatever rock was there, the water would gush out of it. It literally came out, we know that, because millions of people were given water and sustained and all their cattle and everything else from the rock. And so David, in one of the last Psalms he wrote, says, the rock of Israel spake unto me. Speaking about the Lord. Uh, we see it all through the Bible. And there's a story, and I shared it uh, once before, I'm going to share it again. It's an illustration. I don't know if this is actual or if it's become legend. It's almost like Jewish legend or folklore. Okay, and so when when Solomon's temple was being built, you know the Lord had had given instruction that there weren't to be a bunch of loud tools going on. There weren't to be hammering and banging going on. They were to off site somewhere a long way away. They would cut the stones. They would transport them to the side of the temple, okay, the temple mount, and then they would fit them together. And they built it out of stone. So it was a beautiful, unbelievable type of building. But God had given that instruction. He didn't want hammers and chisels and you know things flying and a bunch of ruckus and loud noise. So it's almost amazing when you picture that. Let's say it's in the middle of a forest or whatever up on that hill, and it's just very quietly almost these things, these huge temples being built. And put together, but the the folklore is this: that early on in the project, uh, offsite those that were working offsite had cut a huge stone. I don't know the size of these stones, but I know they were massive. Okay, and they had to be cut perfectly, so that when they got there, they fit in place. And they transported this stone, and the builders looked around. They said, "We don't have any place for this stone. They must have miscut it, and they basically discarded it." And it got overgrown with weeds and stuff and tumbled to the bottom of a hill and they kept building. Well, they got to some point in the building very close to the end where it had to join two walls together. One coming from this direction and one coming from that direction. And they, they needed a specific stone for that. They came to discover it was the one that they had thrown down the hill earlier. And it was the perfect one for that. The stone which the builders rejected. This became the chief cornerstone. 
And so uh, it was brought up and it fit perfectly in that spot. And so, uh, you know, if you think about the Lord, He's, he's the foundation, okay? So He's that foundation where, where it all starts, all right? And then He's also the cornerstone which would join two together. Let's say Jews and Gentiles bring them together in Christ. They were not one before, not one people, but were one in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, right? And join in having made peace with God between the sinful nature, a race of Adam and a new race that's born again of Jesus and, and the cornerstone bringing them together. There's a lot of ways in which the Lord joins together. He Himself, not His theories or His teachings, Him. Okay, brings it together. And he, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. And it's a really amazing thing. He's also called the capstone. And from what I understand, whether there's a specific archway or something, it has to be a certain stone dropped in there to finish the thing off, to bring it together, that would be the capstone as well. So you just look at it. It's like the Lord's in everything. He's the foundation. He's the cornerstone that joins together. He's the capstone on top to finish it off. And then He inhabits that. It's the life of the Lord in His church, in an individual believer, and in the congregation of the saints and the people of the Lord's life. If the Lord wasn't here tonight, let's all go home. Okay? Go home and get some rest. Go watch a TV show you like. Go do something else you wanted to do if God's not here. But He is here. And he, He's with His people and it's His life that's in His church. And so I just thought that was a wonderful illustration this is what Peter's talking about. That Scripture is quoted in the Old Testament. It's quoted in uh, at least three of the Gospels about Jesus being the chief cornerstone. I want you to turn and let's read one in Matthew chapter 21. Turn there. Matthew 21, 42-44. Jesus said unto them, Did you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. You know, it ought to be marvelous in our eyes. It's a really amazing thing. We should never get tired thinking about the greatness of God, His amazing plan, and how He brought it all about, and never get tired and just scratch our heads in amazement at what the Lord has done. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to the nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever that shall fall, it will grind him to powder. The way that I've understood this, okay, there might be some other explanation of it, the way that I've heard this explained, and it meets with my spirit anyway, about if he's the stone, whoever falls on the stone is going to be broken. I look at that as, in some of this, as well as some of the commentaries I've read as a good thing. If you fall upon Jesus and your heart's broken, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, are broken in a contrite heart, O oh God, that will not despise. And so somebody comes to Jesus and they fall upon Him. That's the way that I see it anyway. And so we're broken in our hearts, but that's the, that's the heart that God can inhabit. That's the life that God can save. That's the, the lump of clay that the Lord can put up on His potter's wheel and begin to fashion it the way He wants to. The one that's humble and broken before the Lord. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And somebody falls upon the Lord and says, I'm nothing. Just like we sang, I'm nothing without you. And they mean it. And God knows that they mean it. And they know in their hearts they mean it. And they fall on Jesus. Save me. Deliver me. Help me. 
save my family. You know, whatever it may be. But on whomsoever it falls, it's going to grind to powder. That to me would be the ones that reject the Lord. They're going to face Him one day. And if they don't face Him and come to Christ as any man doesn't come to Christ now to fall upon the rock to give their life to Jesus, they still will see Him one today in a very personal way. And there will be a judgment. They'll say, depart from Me, I never knew you. And so they could have known Him. That's the sad, the sad thing about hell. It's going to be filled with people that could have known the Lord and had every opportunity. And they're without excuse, the Bible says. But anyway, let's turn back to 1 Peter and, uh, and just look at this a little bit more tonight. God says He was laid in Zion a foundation, a stone that's tried. Okay, a precious cornerstone. And whoever believes on Him will not be confounded is one, one translation. And one says, be ashamed. We're not going to be ashamed. And so, the Bible says, hope makes not ashamed. And when we put our trust in the Lord and we hope in Him, we hope in Christ, you are not going to be let down. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what a college professor says. I don't care what CNN says. I don't care what's spoken out there. And even your own flesh will tell you that sometimes. And my own flesh will tell you sometimes this is crazy to trust God for this or to trust God for that. Uh, whoever believes in Him is not going to be ashamed. Okay? You can just book it. God's Word says it right now. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your hope and your trust in the Lord. And He is going to bring it to pass. That's what the Bible says. So He's a sure stone. A tried stone. And even Daniel speaks of, when he's talking about all these worldly kingdoms, right? There's Babylon, and then the Persians, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans. And then he talks way in the future. He's seeing all this, and he has to ask the angel Gabriel to give him understanding of it. And he says, the, the four uh, things you saw, the different beasts, were four kingdoms that are to come. And there's going to be a kingdom after that comes after that. A stone that comes like out of a mountain that's going to not cut with hands, it says. It's going to roll and it's going to crush those other kingdoms and bring them to nothing. And that kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And that kingdom is dominion from, from forever and ever. And the kingdom, that kingdom. And that's Jesus Christ and His kingdom. This stuff's going to go on. That's this worldly stuff that's going on. And we're, we're part of it. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. But it's going to go on and progress. And it's going to keep moving the way God's Word says it's going to move. There will be a revised Roman Empire if we have any kind of understanding of in the book of Revelation. It's short-lived. It'll be bling-bling. It'll be in its heyday. And there'll be a, a one-world religion and everything else. And it's going to be like the kingdom of all kingdoms, it will seem. But the Lord's going to come. And He's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. And His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And so, that's again is the stone not cut with hands. The stone the builders rejected. The rock of our salvation. It's over and over and over again. And the Lord says, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone. I just want to read this Scripture from Zechariah. If you're taking notes, we just, just for time's sake, I'm going to go ahead and read it. Zechariah 3.9. Zechariah 3.9. For behold... The stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the engraving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of the land, of that land in one day. I believe it's talking about the restoration of Israel, but I also believe he's talking about the stone that he laid 
that's going to remove that iniquity. Again, this is the Lord's doing. That's what the Bible says. This is the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. Doesn't the Bible say salvation is of the Lord? This is something of God that only the Lord can do. And He does do it. Okay? What does it mean when the Bible says, look at, looking back at 1 Peter 2, uh, and He says, elect, when He says, verse 4, to whom coming as unto a living stone, so the Lord's a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. That word chosen means elected. Okay? We do see election in the Bible. Not election like Calvinism preaches it, of, of election or predestination. God has created these to be saved, and they're going to be saved whether they want to or not. And He's created these to be damned, and they're going to be damned whether they want to or not. Not that kind of election, but they're elect angels. They're elect uh, Israel is an elect nation, even though they totally rejected the Lord. God is, still has a plan for them. He's chosen that nation to set His name there forever. And David's going to... You know, the, the Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign, uh, reign on the throne of David forever and ever. There are elections in the Bible. And even those that are in Christ, that are born again, now that we're in Christ, we're chosen to be predestinated to be conformed to the image of God. You understand what I'm saying? So Jesus Christ, though, was elected from the foundation of the world to be the Savior of the world. Remember, I, I read it from some commentary recently. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ and His cross and His death on the cross was not an ambulance sent to a, to a scene of a wreck like some people portray it. Like, oh my goodness, it's chaos. We need to do something. What we do? I know what I'll do. I'll send my son Jesus. And it, it, Jesus was not, and the cross was not, an ambulance sent to a wreck. He was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God knew it was going to be that way and He had planned it. And His Son was the Lamb slain way back then from the foundation of the world. I don't understand it. There's a mystery to it all. But I just understand that Jesus Christ is elect. Okay? Chosen of God. And um, before all the worlds, He was that channel of redemption, that means of redemption, that person, that God in the flesh that would come and redeem. And He's also, it says, precious. That means valuable. It literally means inestimable. You can't estimate the value of, the, of it. It means without, it's beyond calculating the value. So that's when He's talking about precious here. And He is altogether lovely. He's the fairest among 10,000. He is that. Okay? There's none that compares. And I always think on the, the Mount of Transfiguration with, uh, with Moses and Elijah and Jesus, right? Elijah and, and Moses appeared with the Lord on the mountain and, and the Lord overshadows them and says, no, when they, they saw, he said, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. When they looked up and when the cloud kind of lifted, they saw no man but Jesus only. The Lord saying, here he is. This is the one. And this is the one that I want you to hear. He is the one that's come to be the Savior of the world. And so, disallowed of men, but chosen of God and precious is what the Bible says. Amen? It's the faith, y'all, in Jesus that's everything. He's disallowed in the sense that men rejected Him in faith or unbelief, saying we don't see it. We don't get it. Isn't this the carpenter's son? In his, or don't his brothers and sisters live right here with us? 
Isn't that what the Bible says when he was in his hometown? And it says they were offended in him and he didn't do many miracles there because of their unbelief. That's the way in which he was rejected. And so faith in the Lord is everything. But he says here, unto you who believe. Okay? Unto you therefore which believe. Verse 7. He's precious. He's just valuable to us like he is. And I believe he grows in that preciousness, you know, in that value to us as we walk with the Lord. As we come to know him more, we come to love him more, don't we? Don't you know the Lord and love the Lord more and appreciate him more now than the day you got saved? That just he just does get sweeter as the days go by, like we sing. And so to you therefore which believe, he's precious. So he's a living stone. And then all that come to him are given that same life. The same life that's in the living stone are given to men. And that, that way he's building up a spiritual house. Isn't that what he says here? Uh, at verse 4, the coming as unto a living stone. And then he says, verse 5, you also as living stones. Well, we weren't living until we came to Christ. But the Bible says that if any man believes in me, Jesus said in John 5, he has passed from death to life and shall not see condemnation. But he's going to have, he's going to walk in eternal life. Okay? Why? Because of faith in Jesus. The same life of Christ is imparted to the believer. It's not a different life, it's his life in the believer. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's the Holy Ghost. It's the Spirit of Almighty God that lives inside of us. And so here's a living stone. And rather than just us admiring it, He allows us to come to Him and to be saved by faith. We didn't just join a church. We got born again. Amen? And His life is now in us. Doesn't the Bible say, if the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead be in you? You know, it's in Romans chapter 6. And that's the same spirit. It's the same life. So, yes, he's the living stone. I'll never become the Christ. I'll never become the Son of God. I'm just happy to be part of his family. He's still unique. But he's also allowed us to be a partaker of his divine nature, the Bible says. And so, ye also as living stones are built up a spiritual house. So God has a purpose. You know, somebody on our street, the, the right the entrance of our street, there's two houses being built on the right, okay? And it's kind of fun to drive by and watch them. It's kind of neat to see a, a house going up and uh, having built a, a few houses myself and that kind of thing. And so when they drop off a huge pile of bricks or truckloads of bricks that pile up, you say, all right, they're getting ready to do their brickwork, you know. You know it's about, they're there for a purpose is my point, or a stack of lumber before they frame up the house. Uh, they're doing that for a purpose. And it says, we as living stones are built up a spiritual house. Well, the Bible says that the builder and maker is God. He builds his own house. And so he takes the different ones that have come to him. He's made us living stones before we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Now we literally are living stones with the same life of God in us that's in him. And then he begins, as the master builder sees fit, to set things in order in his church the way he wants it to be. That is the house that he's speaking of. He's not just speaking about the individual believer. He says, ye as living stones, plural. He's bringing bringing us together to be a spiritual house. I believe in the local church, like we have at Cornerstone and other local churches around the world. And then there's a universal church that he inhabits. It's like he's even placing churches 
in certain places to, to build the house, okay? That He wants it to be. But it's an amazing thing to be uh, used by the Lord in that way and to be a building block. We have a purpose in our life. We're not just saved and one day we'll go to heaven. But between now and the time I go to heaven, I'm just kind of going through life, floating through life. We're not floating for one second. There's not one second that we have no purpose or plan. We need to get a hold of the Lord in His Word and in prayer and to walk with Jesus. And if we don't know what the plan is specifically, and I'll say amen, a lot of us don't. Okay, He doesn't just lay the whole thing out there for you from from now to the end of your life. Does anybody here know what's going to happen day by day between now and the end of your life? Probably not. But what we do is we keep our eyes on Jesus. We are running the race that's set before us, it says in Hebrews 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And if we'll just do that, it's simple. Keep it real simple. Get up tomorrow. If we're not raptured or He hasn't called you home, wake up in the morning and wipe the sleep out of your eyes and set the Lord before you like David did. And walk with Him. And guess what? At the end of the day, and the end of the week, the end of the year, end of your life, you will have walked right like you were supposed to. And you didn't even see all that was happening. You just look back and you say, wow, how'd you do that, Lord? That's amazing. And your life touching so many other lives. And you didn't plan it that way. You understand what I'm saying? We didn't plan it that way. But God had it planned. He's the builder. He's building us up. Uh, a spiritual house. A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. I'm going to jump to the end of that verse. First of all, anything that's going to be offered up to the Lord is only going to be accepted in Christ and through Christ. It's just not. You might paint the most beautiful picture, sing the most beautiful song, build the most beautiful building, whatever we do, but if it's not Christ doing it, and He's not at the heart of it, and the motivation of it, and the strength, and the inspiration for it, and it's not being done at His will, and offered up back to God in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, it's vanity. I don't care how big the building, how beautiful the song, how dedicated the life, if we give our lives to be burned, and we don't have love, it's going to profit us nothing. Okay? So, it has to be the only way anything spiritual is going to be offered back to the Lord to where it's acceptable is going to be through His Son, Jesus. I know that sounds simple, but a prayer, a song, a sermon, a devotional, uh, you're going to share five minutes of the prayer meeting this coming Sunday night, whatever it is. You're going to lead your children in a family altar time. It all has to be as unto the Lord and offered up through Jesus, by Jesus. That's how it's accepted. Okay, The Bible says in Ephesians that we are accepted where? And how? In the Beloved. That's the way we're accepted in no other way. And same for the sacrifices that we offer. The sacrifices that we offer y'all are not just, um, you know, like animal sacrifices and things that were offered for sin. And then there were other sacrifices like grain offerings and the offerings of the first fruits and wine and drink offerings that were poured out. God required that. It pleased Him. But now in Christ, He, he calls for men and women to present their bodies as a living sacrifice to God. That's what He wants. He, he indwells us. And to get up every day and say, this day is yours. Yes, you have work. You have school. It's not that we just get up and do nothing until God shows us. He's already showed us. We have a job and you go to it. But the point is that in everything, 
it's a, it's a sacrifice unto the Lord. Okay? And that's the spiritual sacrifice that's pleasing to the Lord. Alright? And so he receives that and he's pleased with that. And that's the type that the only type that the Lord uh, receives. And y'all in, in this in, in the the being built together this spiritual house, one thing that that's doing is identifying us with the Lord. Right? It identifies us with the Lord. It identifies us with other believers. We go to China to visit some underground church on a secret mission trip or something. And we're identifying ourselves with the Lord. It's His life. It's His life. It's His resurrection life. His blood that was spoken of. His cross that I've come to. And so forth. And so God wants us to identify uh, with Him. And the, the, the builders rejected and they didn't want to identify themselves with Christ. We don't want this man to rule over us. He's just, he's nothing. He's nothing special. And yet to us to believe, he's precious. And I'm identified with him. And he's the one that's given me life and saved me and delivered me. And so he is precious to us, amen, that believe. And, and I thought about this. I'm not any expert in science, but they say if you have a piece of iron that's magnetized, okay, and you put other iron and it touches it, that iron becomes magnetized. And so here's the living stone, Jesus Christ. We're all dead in sins and trespasses. We're talking about life and death. Christ is the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. All right. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and so forth. And we were dead in our sins and trespasses, but by faith, we hear the Gospel, we believe that testimony of Christ, we confess, we give our lives to the Lord. That's coming to the Lord. Coming to the living stone. We didn't know what all was going to take place. We're just saying, save me. You know what I mean? Forgive me. I know You're the Lord and Savior, and I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. You're the Savior. Save me. Well, we come to Him. And He imparts that life to us and opens our eyes spiritually. And we're not in darkness anymore. And we're walking in the light of Jesus. It's a spiritual life. It's a house that He's building up. We don't see it all. I don't think we're supposed to see it all specifically in our lives. I think He shows us what we need to know. He wants us to have in full view Jesus. Every moment. In our marriage. In our family. In the workplace. On a vacation. All the time. To have the Lord before us. And to keep staying with Him. He's going to lead us and guide us all the way through. In a personal way, okay? In a personal way, we're, we're chosen of the Lord. Not predestined for heaven or hell. But in Christ, we're chosen. And I want you to turn with me in your Bibles and just see this. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now see, I do not believe this is... Uh, this is uh, in agreement with Calvinism at all. I think this is biblical teaching on how God chooses and elects. 2 Timothy 1.9 Who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own will. His, I'm sorry, His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. There is a choosing. He's chosen all that come to Him by faith. That's His, his way. In other words, his, his choice is to give man a free choice. 
but his, all, his choice where He predestinates is all that do come to Him by faith. Oh, i got lots of things for them planned out. i got a lot of things for their lives where I'm going to take over and I'm going to be in control if they'll let me for everyone who comes to me by faith in Jesus Christ. i got lots of things predestined for those people and chosen and elect for those people as well. And so he says we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And these, these are actually terms that were, were spoken of uh, in the Bible about, about Israel. And I'm just going to read this. Where Israel was supposed to be that people. Okay? Israel was chosen. There's no doubt about it. God says, I set my love upon you because I set my love upon you. I didn't choose you because you were mightier than any other people. Speaking about Israel. He goes, in fact, you were the least of all people. You weren't strong, you were weak. And I basically he's just saying, I chose you because I chose you. Now we're talking about the nation of Israel, not heaven or hell individuals, okay? And he said, I set my love upon you. And when Moses uh, spoke to the people, the Lord speaking through him says, And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. So that was spoken of Israel to be kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But Israel as a whole rejected Jesus Christ. And in a similar fashion, the Lord has set the church to be the salt of the earth and the light to the world, right? There's no doubt about that. And He's chosen to set His name there. He still has a plan for Israel. And He's going to make two one. He's going to redeem Israel and they'll be part of the everlasting kingdom with us and so forth. They're going to look upon the Lord when He comes back at the second coming at the end of Armageddon and at uh, the battle of Armageddon at the end of the tribulation and a nation's going to be born in a day and it's going to be an amazing thing. But that was something that the Lord had spoken of Israel. But because Israel rejected Jesus, He is. I'm not saying because of that, I'm saying that that is something He's called us to be salt and light as well. And so he's, he's going to bring it all to pass. The Bible says in Revelation 1 that unto Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood and has made us kings and priests unto our God. Speaking about Jesus Christ. He's made us that. But you know something else that's interesting. A royal, royal priesthood, royal has to do with uh, being a king. Okay? Royalty. A royal priesthood Priesthood being the priest, of course. Those two were never mixed. God made good and sure that those two never mixed together. We see it all through the Bible except in Jesus. We have such a high priest, harmless and undefiled and holy. He's our priest and He's our King as well. It only fits in Jesus. David was not a priest. He was a king. Okay? Hezekiah was a, was a king and not, not a priest. Isaiah was a... I believe, a lot of people believe he was a priest and not a king. Samuel was a priest and not a king. And they didn't mix the two offices. And when Uzziah tried to do it one time and offer incense as the priest in the temple, God sent leprosy to him and he left the temple with leprosy upon his, his head. He wasn't playing around with that. There were two different things. But yet in Christ, because He is our high priest and the King of kings, He's made us 
kings and priests unto our God. And so a king is one that reigns. And he says we're the head and not the tail. I'm going to reign with Christ forever and ever. I'm going to reign with the Lord during the millennial kingdom. He has said that of us. He spoke that in his word. I sure don't feel like a leader or a king, but he's made us that in Christ. And I don't feel like a priest. Well, a priest is one that ministers to the Lord in proximity. You know, there's the court of the Gentiles outside the temple where the Gentiles had to stay out here. And there's a court for the women. And the women can look through the door and be close to the door. And the whole general public out there. But it was only the priest that could go in and really minister. And only the high priest once a year could go in, not without blood, it says, and offer the sacrifice. But He's made us kings and priests unto our God. We, we can be in that proximity with the Lord and nearness to the Lord. Remember how Moses, it says, I'm just happy to be reading through Exodus in my Bible right now. That's just where I am. And it talks about uh, when the tabernacle was lifted up and reared and set up in place. And this glory of God would appear there. And it says that all the men would stand in the gates of their tents and look. And they watched Moses. They're all watching Moses. And Moses would walk down to that tabernacle. And, and basically the Lord would invite him in. And he would go into that tabernacle and the Lord would speak to him as a man speaks face to face. That must have been just amazing. And all the people were just, until Moses came out there watching and the glory of God came down and just filled this place. But he's made us kings and priests. We can come because of the blood of Jesus. We talked about it in our study in Hebrews into the Holy of Holies. And all this is contained in, in the Scripture and what we're reading here in First Peter. Uh, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And let's close with these last couple of verses. Uh, and 9 and 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should. There's a should to it. People don't like to be told what they should do. Okay? Just leave it for me to decide. But you know what? God tells us lots of things we should do and shouldn't do. And He tells us right here, I've made you this. I've made you a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should. Now what's, what should I do with that now, Lord? That you should glorify God. You should show forth His praises. Who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Okay? Which in times past were not a people, but now are the people of God who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Just listen to this from Habakkuk. You don't have to turn there. I'm sorry, Hosea. 2.23 I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them which were not my people, Thou art my people. And they shall say, Thou art my God. He had a plan to redeem men through His Son Jesus Christ. And we are part of that fulfillment of that and beneficiaries of that. Men were saved before the cross. They were saved by looking forward to a coming Savior. They were saved by faith. Abraham believed God. It was counted unto him for righteousness. But we have the fulfillment of it all in Christ. There was grace before the cross. But the Bible says, of His fullness have we all received in grace for grace. It's uh, all fulfilled in Christ. And so uh, we have that, that blessing that benefit to come before the Lord uh, in Jesus' name and have it all that nearness and that closeness to the Lord through faith in Jesus Christ. Now the Bible says we had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That does not mean that at some points in, in past that God was not a merciful God. 
He says, I'm the Lord, I've changed not. Right? He's always been gracious. He's always been merciful. He's always been holy. He's always been just. He's always been eternal. He's always been omnipotent. He's always been righteous. He's always been all of these things. But there are people that had not obtained mercy. They didn't get it. They didn't lay hold on it. They didn't benefit from it. And that's like a lot of things. I mean, the Lord's merciful today, but there's a lot of people that are going to die and go to hell. It's not because God's not merciful. It's because they haven't obtained mercy when they could. It all comes through faith. We're saved by faith, and the just shall live by faith. We would obtain mercy by faith. He never stops being merciful. His mercy being poured out on sinful men every day. You know, if, if He wasn't merciful, the sinner could just die. Just die and never have a chance almost. You know what I mean? But He's merciful. He lets sinful people go on and on and on and live to ripe old ages sometimes. And you say, man, if I was God, I would have snuffed that one out. You know? I would have snuffed me out probably at times in my past. But God is merciful, but everybody doesn't obtain mercy. If we're going to obtain it, we're going to obtain it through Christ. Through faith in Jesus Christ. Through coming His way, not some other way. And we're not a people, but now we're the people of God. We were just lost. We were just worldlings. We were just children of the world. And we serve the God of this world. We lie, whole world lies in the embrace of the wicked one. And we were, we were uh, enemies of the cross and enemies of God. And now we're the people of God. It's the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes what He's done. And y'all, I'll just close with this, that um, we're part of God's own possession. That's really something special. And, and as I study these things, the Lord... Uh, helps me to lay hold a little bit more on some of these truths. But that ought to bring joy that I'm purchased by the Lord, that I'm like precious to Him. I know that in me, Paul said, dwells no good thing. We're not worthy of being saved or anything like that. It's all the goodness of God. But now in Christ, we're valuable to the Lord. Israel was the apple of God's eyes. We're precious to the Lord and valuable in that sense to Him and uh, His own possession. And how can we repay the Lord? What does God... We, we don't actually repay Him, but what in return should God does God desire back out of my life? He desires back out of my life what He's poured into my life, which is His kindness, His goodness, His mercy. And those that ought to rise up just as praise unto the Lord. That we would show forth the praises of Him. And to me, it just it, it ends up with that. We were once were in darkness, but now we're in light. He called us out of darkness. He called us and actually carried us out of there and delivered us out of darkness into His marvelous light and made us His very own. And we're recipients of His mercy. And all He's saying now is just show forth those praises. If I'm walking around in sin as a believer, I'm truly born again, but I'm walking around in a, pretty much a lifestyle of sin or kind of careless with my walk with the Lord, morally and everything. That's not honoring to God. doesn't mean I'm not saved. He'll deal with me about it. But what's going to really glorify the Lord? What's going to honor Him? Showing forth the praises. Maria picking up the phone and calling the neighbor. Not only did God answer, first of all, put it on their hearts to pray that prayer because they really wanted that. Well, who, who thinks about stuff like that? Let me sell my house and roll and I'll move to a better house. And Nice people, I'd like to see them sometime. But it was on their hearts to 
to have that. First of all, God put that on the heart. Second of all, they prayed the prayer to the Lord. Then the Lord answered the prayer in a very specific way, and it was manifest the answer very specifically today. And then she picks up the phone and gives God the glory in a sense by saying, hey neighbor, here's what, uh, and he doesn't even know the Lord, does he? Okay, he doesn't know the Lord, but they know the Lord, and they're going to glorify God. And that's the way that we show forth His praises. He's a God who answers prayer. Okay? And we and that man scratching his head, but you know one day the light bulb's going to click for him, and he's going to get it all, and this might be a big part of it. You just never know. But it is glorifying God. And our lives ought to glorify the Lord. And I'm just going to close with that. And I want us to just stand tonight, and I know we're physically tired, and just glorify the Lord. Begin to magnify the Lord. Begin to thank Him. Because the Bible says to us to believe He's precious. And we might honestly say, you know, I don't feel anything really stirred up. I know I'm supposed to think He's precious, but He just doesn't seem that precious to me right now. Well, by faith you lay hold and you say, no, this is true. He is that valuable. God, would you give me a glimpse of your glory? Like Moses, would you let me see? Would you get the callousness off of my heart and give me a soft heart of flesh that I would cherish you more than I do, that I would glorify you more in the everyday things of life uh, because you're worthy of that. We've been saved for that. Therefore, glorify God, the Bible says, that you should show forth the praises of Him who's called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. And let's just begin to lift our hands and worship the Lord and Father. You find a place to pray. You find a place to worship. But God, I want to thank You, Lord. The stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner, the chief cornerstone. Disallowed indeed of men, but precious of God. Chosen and precious and elect God. I thank You, Lord. Our minds can't comprehend Your plan of salvation and how You had Jesus slain from the foundation of the world. We don't understand it all, God. But we believe it and we do understand it more than we used to, God, because Your Holy Ghost gives us that knowledge. But Lord, we want to be a people that's joyful. You have made us a royal priesthood. We weren't that before. You have made us kings and priests to our God. We were not that before. You have washed us in Your blood. We've obtained mercy, God. We're a holy people, a peculiar people set apart unto God. Lord, we want to be that more in practice than we are. Not just our theology, but in our practice, God. And Lord, I want to glorify You more, to show forth the praises of Him who called me out of darkness into Your marvelous light, God. Would You touch us tonight? And would You move us and further us along in that just a little bit further tonight, God? Bring us closer to You where this world means less and less to us And Jesus means more and more to us even tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Lord.